is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. We are your host, Mike Payton, Keith Black Trudeau. We are uh, doing another fun episode today. We're we're going to focus on former Pistons player. Uh, wasn't in Detroit super long, but it was enough to uh, for us to do a, a, an episode on it. Plus, he's probably one of everybody's, you know, uh, everybody's fond of this guy. We're doing Cliff Robinson today. Uncle Cliff himself, the man with the headband. Uh, I love this guy. I always have uh, Blazers great, Pistons, I suppose, great. He was a big part of the the Pistons transferal into becoming the going-to-work Pistons. Sadly, he wasn't on the team when they actually won the championship, but he was a big part of that whole setup. So uh, we decided it was uh, time to t- talk about Uncle Cliff. Yeah, Cliff Robinson one of the the more interesting and well-loved players uh, universally uh, which is weird because he, he comes into the NBA as as being labeled as a guy with a questionable attitude and he gets to the NBA and, and coaches and teammates just love the guy I think I think he's a very fascinating player for sure uh we are gonna go ahead and uh, we don't have any banter for you today we're gonna jump right into it the heart of uh, he's going to the movies tonight to see Slam Dunk, which is some sort of anime movie that I don't understand, but uh, he Slam, tells Slam me it's Dunk, if, if I may interject, yes, uh, because interject. this is actually historically relevant. Uh, Slam Dunk uh, was the, the manga creator's love letter to basketball. Uh, it was released in Japan in the very, very early 90s. Uh, Japan at the time had very of course basketball had existed everywhere at that point but the country of japan really had no interest in the game had no knowledge of the game and that show essentially brought the game uh to the masses it, it is a wonderful wonderful uh story it is a love letter to basketball and the the final arc uh, of the of the manga which is a japanese comic was never uh animated was never brought to the tv show and now, uh, 27 years after it ends, uh, they went back, someone went back and they, they made a movie to, to summarize the final part of the story. It is sitting at a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Uh, the movie came out in Japan last year, swept every award there. It, it is now in the United States as of last week. Uh, my wife and I are going to see it. She has spent the last week painstakingly trying to catch up on the TV show. <laughs> Uh, which <laughs> look, the TV show was about 90 to hundred episodes. She didn't get quite that far, uh, but, but she, she made a lot of progress. I am very proud of her, but in any case, uh, the reason I bring all this up is the main characters of slam dunk. The main character is actually based off of uh, Dennis Rodman and they're, they're a side character. Basically every basketball player in the show is based off of an NBA uh, counterpart from the late 80s and early 90s if, if you watch it in that uh, context it's actually really cool to go back and see 
I'll uh, I'll have to give it a shot. I'll have to check it out. Um, I all I'll say before we get into Uncle Cliff is my my TV show basketball uh, recommendation is Swagger on Apple TV. I'm loving it, loving this show so far. Uh, okay, uh, let's go all the way back to UConn to Connecticut to uh, old Jim Calhoun and uh, one of his favorite players, Cliff Robinson. All right. So I think the interesting thing is uh, he wasn't actually recruited by, by Jim Calhoun. Uh, his, uh, his freshman year, they had a different coach. Jim Calhoun actually comes in uh, at the start of Cliff Robinson's sophomore season. He doesn't play too much as a freshman, which isn't uh, an earth shattering thing. Uh, UConn is a major program, Big East, that freshmen aren't going to play very often. But, yeah, like you said, as soon as uh, Jim Calhoun comes in, the legendary coach, uh, he, he takes over. Cliff Robinson moves right into the starting lineup and as, a, as a sophomore, never leaves it. Uh, over three years starting uh, under Jim Calhoun, he averages almost 19 points a game. Uh, UConn is not very good. It takes him a while to build, build that program up. They never make the big dance. Uh, I believe they do make the NIT one year. Uh, but generally – Cliff Robinson kind of toils away in obscurity, which is kind of weird talking about a national brand like UConn, but back then they weren't nearly as, as well-known as they are now. So he does fall a little bit in the 1989 NBA draft for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he gets this, as I said at the beginning of the show, he gets this reputation as kind of a, a malcontent or a, a not coachable player with somewhat of a, a bad attitude or at least a, uh, a laissez-faire attitude. I think the, the knock was that he didn't care enough. And the, the other knock on him was that he was a skinny 6'10", 220-pound center. But in the NBA, that his build was, a, was not the, the type of center that would usually hold up over 82 games. So there was always a question, well, what position is, is Cliff Robinson a, a center? Is he a power forward? Is he quick enough to play the four? Uh, is he strong enough to play the five? No one quite knew. Everyone knew he was talented. He was athletic, uh, very good defender, but no one quite knew what his place was in the NBA, and I think that's why he dropped. I mean, the Pistons, the Pistons could have had him. They, they famously passed on him for Fennis Dembo. No, don't bring up Fennis Dembo again. Uh, I was looking for uh... – for the Portland Trailblazers draft pick that got taken before him, and it was Byron Irvin, uh, shooting guard, got taken late in the draft and played three years in the NBA, if that. He played 87 games. Uh, so I guess it all worked out in the second round pick. Right. The uh, Yeah, it's really interesting because Cliff Robinson is a second round pick. He starts the season. He's basically Portland's sixth man. Uh, he, he never starts. Portland has a powerhouse team. Uh, they, they acquire uh, Buck Williams, one of the top power forwards in the league that season. And they, they jump from a perennial, you know, five to eight seed to being one of the top teams in the NBA. And Cliff Robinson is part of that rotation. And Cliff Robinson's first season, the Blazers improved from 39 to 59 wins, uh, averages about nine points. Uh, his shooting is is hilariously abysmal. It, it it's he 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 shoots I think fifty five percent from the foul line. 
uh, sub 40% from the field. It's not very good, but his defense is what gets him on the floor. And throughout the playoffs, he doesn't score the ball very well, uh, but he is in several games uh, during their run to the finals. He is a key figure uh, defensively, and he, he can guard a multitude of positions, uh, which proved to be extremely valuable for that early, 90, early 90s uh, Blazers team. Of course, they do not win in the NBA Finals because your right. Detroit Pistons uh, just, I mean, basically beat the crap out of them. Yeah, and Cliff does that. That's really one of his worst series is that final series. He really doesn't have anyone out there that, that he needs to guard. There's not too many post players on the Pistons. And offensively, he just doesn't have a role. He only scores 19 points over five games shoots 25% from the floor. It's just a, a series where he couldn't find his role. And look, as a rookie going up against, you know, a team that most people consider one of the, the top 10 uh, NBA franchises that ever played the bad boys, it's hard to hold that against him. Right. Well, uh, things start to get, you know, a little bit better in 1991. He's starting to shoot a little better. He's getting more time. He goes from, you know, uh, he goes from 19 minutes a game to 20, almost 24 minutes a game. Still the sixth man. Uh, they 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 wind up making it back to the playoffs again, and then in the Western Conference uh, Finals, he he has a gaffe uh, yeah, against it, the Lakers. Yeah, and and this is the really weird thing because you you could argue that this is the finest postseason of his career, uh, efficiency wise. Uh, the Blazers that season, people forget that that Jordan's first championship season, the Bulls did not have the best record in the league. The Portland Trail Blazers did. They actually won more games than they had the year before when they played the Pistons in the finals. Uh, he has a very memorable, uh, Cliff does, uh, he shoots eight for nine uh, in, in the winner-take-all game five against the Sonics in the first round. Uh, they obviously win that game and move on. And then they run into the Lakers, who by that time, a lot of the media had written off as being an old, slow team. No Kareem. Portland had a better record. They'd smoke them during the season. And the Lakers jump on the Blazers. Uh, Magic Johnson just controls the tempo masterfully. They slow the, they, they slow the tempo down. They, they pound it down to their big guys. They win three of the first um, five games of the series. They're up 3-2. They're in uh, the forum looking to close out the Blazers in game six. And they're, control, they're in control the entire game until the, the very end of the fourth quarter where the Blazers turn up the defensive pressure and the Lakers finally starting uh, – they, they finally start to look a, a little bit fatigued. And they, what happens is the Blazers are down one with about a, a little less than a minute left. The Lakers just can't score. They can't find the basket. And they're just trying to hold on. And Cliff Robinson steals a pass from Magic Johnson. And it ignites this three-on-one Blazers fast break. Uh, Robinson winds up out-sprinting everybody to the end of the floor. Uh, he, he is wide open under the basket. Jerome Kersey feeds him the ball, and the ball goes right through his hands and out of bounds. Uh, it was not a bad pass at all. Cliff Robinson just lost concentration for a split second. And that play you could argue that play decided that series that it might've decided the championship. It was just 
people don't remember this moment outside of Portland, but if you go back and watch the game, it is, it is heartbreaking to look at it because Robinson is the one that made the play to begin with, uh, picking off that pass. And he puts himself in perfect position to score a wide open layup. And he just drops the ball out of bounds. It, it is a very, it's crazy. It's, it's, and Robinson himself will tell you, would have told you, he never really forgot this play. It's it's the one play in his career that he, he never really got over. Yeah, that's tough. You know, that's the difference between the NBA finals and going home. So Yeah, and he, and he played very well in the finals. He, uh, once again, six-man, averaged double figures, shot almost 50% from the floor. They did not lose because of him at all. He had one of his better series against the Lakers. It was just that one mistake that that stood out, and it kind of followed him, uh, for, at least through the rest of his Portland years. Well, uh, you know, 1992's in the rear view, or 1991's in the rear view. 1992, again, he's getting better. More minutes, 25.9 minutes now. He's becoming like one of the, I mean, he's one of the main rotational players at this point in, in Portland. They get back to the finals again. Um, but, you know, you got to go up against the greatest player of all time. Right. And th- this is going to be a continuing trend because in Cliff Robinson's first six seasons, his minutes went up and his scoring average went up and he, in, in all six of it. So every single year we're, we're getting, we're going to keep repeating this. Robinson improves, plays more minutes, scores more points. Uh, unfortunately, the, the Blazers, uh, look, 92 was probably their peak. Uh, they do make it back to the finals. Uh, Cliff Robinson does play pretty well, averages 12 points, uh, one block a game. But it, it's just not, like you said, it's just not enough, uh, and especially against the Bulls. He, he does a credible job uh, uh, guarding their front line, guarding Horace Grant, uh, guarding Scotty Pitt, but it just doesn't, it wasn't nearly enough. Of all the players that did not show up in that series, uh, Cliff Robinson, once again, not among them, uh, averages double figures off the bench, shoots 44%, but none of the Blazers shot incredibly well in that series. And, yeah, the the Bulls actually, they, they were on the ropes for a minute, uh, if people remember in that game six. The, the Blazers were one quarter away. They were up 16 points, one quarter away from forcing a game seven, and they kind of just gagged the game away. Uh, the worst part of it is, is Michael Jordan spent most of that quarter on the bench, and they, they just couldn't hold it. So that, that kind of sums up uh, Cliff Robinson's third season and, and really ends uh, Portland's dominance in the Western Conference. It almost feels like if there was any team that could have beaten that Bulls that Bulls team in that, you know, that three-peat, it seems like Portland should have been the team that could have, could have done it. I mean, that, that roster is uh, Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Kevin Duckworth, Jerome Kersey, Buck Williams, uh, Danny Ainge is there for some reason. I don't even remember him being on the team. Robert Pack. Yeah, he was there for a couple of years. This team, I think, had a better shot than the Suns. Both Jordan and Phil Jackson, uh, on separate occasions have both said that that Blazers team had enough talent to beat, to beat the bulls, but they were never going to be a good enough team to beat the bulls. They just had too many mental errors, too many lapses. Uh, yeah. Phil, Phil Jackson said some things that were <laughs> exceptionally cruel mm-hmm. <laughs> about the, uh, 
about the Blazers that they just they they couldn't handle uh they couldn't handle pressure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's obvious they lost four games to two. Um, but anyways, Cliff is gonna bounce back again. But, but, yeah, the, the Blazers <laughs> fall drop like a rock from here, but but Cliff actually he's he keeps uh, rising up. Yeah, uh, 1993. This is when we start to notice Cliff Robinson on a national on a national level. He is still stuck behind, but obviously Buck Williams, an amazing power forward. He was never going to start over Buck Williams, uh, or really Jerome Kersey, but Kersey was the better option. So what's interesting here is uh, Cliff Robinson, who was a, a four five really to that point, starts. Uh, experimenting a little bit, playing some small forward. So now he's backing up three positions for Portland. Uh, he plays a ton of minutes and wins his, once again, his statistics keep going up and he wins six man of the year at well-deserved six man of the year. Uh, not only is he there, one of the top scoring reserves in the league top, he's one of the top defensive reserves in the league. And it's really not a great season for Portland. Uh, they Clyde Drexler gets injured late in the season. Uh, they wind up getting upset by the Spurs in the first round. Uh, Cliff Robinson doesn't necessarily. He actually might have had his worst playoffs playoff series, other than that final series against the Pistons. He shoots twenty six percent. Just just a miserable playoff series all around. But Drexler wasn't on the floor, which forced. It, it forced everybody else to step up and it, it just wasn't a good season. It, it was not meant to be for the Blazers at that point. It was pretty obvious to everybody. Well, speaking of good seasons, uh, 1994 is going to be, well, I guess you could say the best season of Cliff's career. He's going to make the all-star team. Um, he, he plays another 82 games. He's, he's starts 64 of them. This is when he really becomes a starter. Uh Talk to us about that 94 season. What what changed? Was it the Drexler trade, maybe? No, Drexler doesn't get traded until the until next year. Season. Yep, you're right. Next year. Yep. Good point. So yeah, he, he's all over the once again, he's all over the floor, uh, playing center, playing small forward, playing power forward. But in 94, he's doing it as a starter. Uh, I want to say it's because of Kevin Duckworth, because Jerome Kersey and Buck Williams are still there. I think Kevin Duckworth got traded, and they bring in Chris Dudley, and that just doesn't work out at all. So you actually see Cliff Robinson playing a lot of center that season, uh, but he is playing a lot of small forward and power forward uh, on occasion. He does start over Jerome Kersey uh, a lot as well at the three. But the, the point remains, he's just doing so much for Portland at this point, and now his scoring average is up over 20 points a game. His efficiency isn't great. Like compared to his six man of the year season when he was averaging 19 off the bench, his efficiency drops uh, just a little bit. Uh, but I, I think this is when people start to notice, you know, Cliff Robinson's a really, really good player. And this is what's just one of those occasions where and it happens every year where you see a, a guy that's, that's always really good, but th- this one year has, he has an argument to be an all-star and everyone looks at him and says, well, he might never get this opportunity again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote him in this year, and that's kind of what happened because the year before and the year after, he actually had better seasons uh, efficiency-wise 
but this was his first season as a starter. Uh, he did he did, he carried a lot of uh, a lot of weight for a Portland team that was still a playoff team. I would still say it's richly deserved. Uh, that was his only All Star selection. Yeah, that's it's uh, it's unfortunate because um, the next year he actually he does score more the next year yeah. and starts more games. Um, but yeah, doesn't doesn't make it back to the All Star team again. But ninety five is actually. Uh, an interesting season because it's the first year of his entire career that he actually missed a couple of games. He, yeah. That's he, the crazy thing that we've never even mentioned. Uh, yeah. He, he plays the full 82 for his first five seasons and, you know, two thirds of the way through year six, he, he finally misses his first and it's still to this day. He's kind of like the anti Bill Walton, uh, even though they, they, they both enjoy the same recreational activities. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, 461 consecutive games play. He played. He does not miss a game for the first 461 uh, outings of his career, and that is something that Cliff Robinson continues. He he played relatively injury free for 18 years. Uh, I, I Carl Malone gets a lot of credit for that. John Stockton gets a lot of. I I hear people talk about their durability all the time. No one ever talks about Cliff Robinson's durability. Cliff Robinson was durable as hell for being a guy. Uh, with his skinny build that played a power position in the NBA and that was constantly out on the defending out on the perimeter and defending the rim at the same time. Uh, and especially in this day and age, I think that that kind of emphasizes even more uh, how important it is just to, just to be able to show up uh, every day that you can, as they say, the most important ability is availability. And that, that's something I think that, rings true more today than even than it did 30 years ago. Yeah. And this is like pre pre load management too. So this is, I mean, every, you know, everybody's striding to play every game of the season. It's not just that he's averaging 82, uh, 82 games a season, but he's, he's playing over 30 minutes. Like the, the, the heart of his career, he's, he's averaging 38 minutes a game and he's still playing the entire season. And it's, it's crazy. Uh, but I think the other noteworthy thing is, and this is something, I don't know how many guys in the league have ever done this. He goes from averaging less than one three-point attempt per game for the first five seasons of his career to averaging over five in the mid-90s when three-pointers were not as nearly as prevalent as they were today. Uh, not only does he he start, because he, he moves to the small forward position full-time uh, in 94-95. He finally takes Jerome Kersey's job for good. And he, he starts shooting more on the perimeter. And he, he goes from being a total non-outside shooter to being a, a, a guy that's one of the most prolific shooting bigs in the entire NBA. It's kind of crazy. Uh, not, not only does he, he attempt uh, five threes a game, uh, but he shoots over 37% on, on those attempts. He, he is fifth in the entire NBA that season in three-pointers made. Like fifth. After not really shooting them at all for five years, he decides to start shooting them, and he's one of the most efficient shooting bigs in the entire C, uh, league for the mid-'90s. It's just a, something else he added to his bag simply because it got him on the floor and allowed him to play more minutes. That's basically like what Isaiah Stewart's trying to do right now, suddenly become a shooter. Yeah, and, and that should show you exactly how hard it is to go from being a non-shooter to, to being a three-point shooter at the NBA level. 
it is really hard. It takes a lot of guys. Al Horford's another example. He was terrible at it when he started shooting three-pointers. It took him years to develop that consistency. It's probably going to take Isaiah Stewart years. Cliff Robinson did it almost overnight. Yeah, he was uh, he was a, he's an anomaly in this situation for sure. Uh, so Cliff is going to spend a couple more years in Portland, and then he becomes a free agent, and he decides uh, a different Western Conference team is the is the way to go for him. So he signs with the Phoenix Suns, and uh, some interesting things happen in Phoenix. So he's he's an older player, and he somehow all of a sudden now he's making the All Defensive Team. That he's scoring yeah. 50 points in a game. Yeah, so so Cliff Robinson, once he hits his mid-30s, uh, not that he was ever bad before, but he almost gets better, or at least gets recognized as being better. Uh, it, it, is re- it, it is really a weird uh, situation. Uh, two things to him uh, happen in Phoenix. Well, one, first of all, the Sonics improve once again. He goes to a team, they get much better. They improved from 40 to 56 wins in, in 1998. They don't go anywhere in the playoffs. A guy by the name of Tim Duncan uh, eliminates them in the first round. But the Suns are really, really good with Cliff Robinson. And two things happened to uh, to Cliff Robinson in his, his uh, four-year stay at Phoenix. One, uh, he scores 50 points against the Denver Nuggets <laughs> at age 33. He becomes the oldest player in NBA history ever to record his first 50-point game. I think his career high prior to that was 40, I want to say, in Portland. I don't think he scored more than that. And the other thing that happens is he makes the all-defensive team for the first time in his career, which is kind of weird and kind of insulting considering he was well-known as a as a two-way uh, forward in, in, in Portland. I, I just got done telling you for 10 minutes – he was defending three positions at, at at certain points. He was defending the three, four, and five. Like Portland needed him defensively in a lot of games. So the fact that he he has to go somewhere else to make the old defensive team is kind of weird. Uh, but because he does that, he does hold the distinction of being the first player in the modern era or the oldest player in the modern era to make his first all defensive team. So he has these two records all to himself. I mean, if you if you go in the rule book, if you go in the record books, like you can see, like uh, Bill Russell made his first All Defensive Team at, at thirty five, which is nonsense because they didn't have the All Defensive Team prior to him being thirty five. So you'll find older players in that in the record books with their first uh, All Defensive Team appearance, but none that came into the league with the with the All Defensive Teams already uh, eligible. Yeah, it's it's. Cr- I mean, he's thirty three years old and he's played. Uh, you know, like. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years before he finally actually makes that his first one, and then he makes the second one is his uh the the very next year, and he and he's a full time starter in Phoenix. He's averaging fifteen to eighteen points a game. Uh, Phoenix is just like Portland. Phoenix goes to the playoffs every single year. He's there. They they advance past the first round a couple of times. Uh, there, there's absolutely nothing bad you can say about his time in Phoenix other than, you know, Phoenix runs into the, 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 the great teams of that, that era, the, the Los Angeles Lakers and the, the Sacramento Kings, and they just weren't good enough to beat them. It wasn't really his fault, but that also kind of prompts the, the Phoenix Suns to 
try to rebuild on the fly and, and kind of give, give up on that team. So they, the first thing they do is they trade Jason Kidd out of town because, you know, he was the problem for uh, Stefan Marbury. Not, not the greatest move. And then I no. I'll say a day or two later, uh, they ship Cliff Robinson out just simply to clear his contract off their books because he had a longer term contract, I think for two or three years. They trade him to the Detroit Pistons for the the low, low price of Jim Bushler and John Wallace, a.k.a. expiring contract number one and expiring contract number two. A.k.a. Yeah, I didn't even realize these guys ever played for the Pistons. <laughs> oh, I, I have a whole highlight uh, video of Judd Bushler. Oh, boy. Are we going to do a Judd uh, Bushler episode? Is it a Detroit Pistons? No. I, <laughs> okay. Look, I love Judd Bushler. I'm not going to enter him into this um into this show, but God, I wish I, I wish I could do a show on Judd Bushler. He's, he's one of the most uh, fun, interesting. This is a man that Michael Jordan gave a nickname to. I don't know any other player in NBA history that Michael Jordan thought enough of to, to nickname him the technician. (laughs) (laughs) He's got three rings for a reason. He was very useful to those bull team bulls teams. And he was actually really useful uh, as a spot up shooter playing alongside Grant Hill uh, before uh, serious injuries ruined his, uh, the rest of his career. In any case, so now we get to the meat of our show, the the part that that our our Detroit listeners want to to hear about. Uh, Cliff Robinson's time in Detroit. It was a couple of years. He, it was not this trade was not treated with a ton of fanfare. It was one of those okay. It was not too dissimilar from Bojan Bogdanovic, where eh, this guy's in his mid thirties. Yeah, he used to be good. I don't know if he's still good. He's making a lot of money. I we should maybe have gone younger. Blah blah. That that, that was kind of the the narrative surrounding this move. And I remember Cliff Robinson has a terrible preseason. Like he just didn't. He did not look uh, like he belonged on the court. He looked like he was about fifty. It was he was just bad. And you know, classic Piston fans overreacting. The preseason, you started to get the rumblings. Okay, this this was a bad move. We were stuck with this guy for another two years. Uh, what was Joe thinking? And then the regular season begins, and he he just sets the world on fire. Uh, he he struggles a little bit his first game at Dallas, and then I think over the next ten games he averages over twenty points <laughs> with 50 uh, 40 shooting splits. Uh, the Pistons win I think seven or eight of those games. And from that point on, uh, Detroit was in love with Cliff Robinson because uh, let me tell you, this was kind of Cliff Robinson's game his whole career, but this is especially what he did with the Pistons. He was playing center. Uh, Ben Wallace was actually playing power forward that first season. They, they asked, uh, Rick Carlisle did ask Cliff Robinson to guard the other teams, uh, center to allow Ben Wallace, the freedom to roam and rim protect get out on the perimeter they switched a lot but for the most part cliff robinson was the starting center on that team not ben wallace and it was just the perfect match uh between cliff and and ben wallace i know we talk about rashid and and ben wallace as being like the the perfect duo uh perfect front court duo defensively but cliff robinson was like the prototype he was the blueprint that that showed joe dumars exactly the type of player you should you need to put next to Ben Wallace to get the best out of him. Uh, Cliff Robinson, 
he, he was so good defensively, especially that first season in Detroit. Uh, one of the oldest players ever to make the all defensive team uh, at age 35, he makes it in Detroit of all places. Once again, after not doing it at all in Portland. And I, I remember one game in, in particular, it was in Charlotte. I want to say, was it March or it was towards the end of the season. Uh, but it, it was one of those rock fights where both teams were struggling, struggling to break 80. Uh, the Hornets had a two point lead with about two minutes left. And the, on the, like Cliff Robinson had had five blocks in this game. He was, he was just amazing defensively, but um, the Hornets are trying to score another basket, put the game away. And Eldon Campbell gets a free lane to the rim and he's going in to dunk it. And Cliff Robinson catches it. He doesn't just block it. He catches the ball from behind. He just takes it away from out of Eldon Campbell's hands. Just, it was just an incredible play to look at. And the Pistons get the ball. They, they don't score. The Hornets get the ball back. The very next play down the court, uh, Eldon Campbell passes it, this time to P.J. Brown, who was also wide open under the rim. And Cliff Robinson does the exact same thing. He catches the ball. Cliff, Robin, or, uh, Cliff Robinson catches a P.J. Brown dunk uh, from behind and rips it out of his hands. And both times, he catches a dunk. He doesn't just block it. He catches it. Uh, it, it was one of the most fun sequences I've ever seen. And the Pistons do go on to win that game. And it kind of spearheads the rest of their season. Uh, with Cliff Robinson, the Pistons improved from 32 to 50 wins. They, they were a team that nobody picked to be in the playoffs, period. And they wound up winning their division. They're the two seed in the Eastern Conference. It is one of the, the great feel-good underdog seasons in, in Pistons history. It may be number one on that list. Uh, but Cliff Robinson was you know, one of the two or three most important factors of why they had that amazing season. Yeah, I mean, he was he was such a big part of this team. Uh, I mean, it was just two years, but, uh, you know, he, like I said, he helped make this team uh, go and start going into the direction of what the go to work Pistons would be. And it's, it sucks that he wasn't just here for one more year because he finally would have got that championship. But I guess. And and this is kind of, this is kind of the, the sad part is because Two things happened. Here's the interesting thing. The following season, the Pistons, Joe Dumars actually signed Cliff Robinson to a contract extension towards the end of that 2003 season. At age 36, he signs him to a two-year contract extension. That's how much he thought of Cliff Robinson. Uh, But Cliff Robinson's second season in Detroit isn't quite as amazing as his first season. It's okay, but he slips a little bit efficiency-wise. The playoffs is just a total, he, he doesn't play well. Uh, let's just call that what it, what it is. He kind of shows his age a little bit. He's playing maybe a few too minutes, few too many minutes. And the other thing that works against Cliff Robinson is the Pistons had a young big man they, that Joe Dumars had just drafted in the second round named Memento Core. And Memento Core uh, comes into the NBA much better than people expected him to be. He looks like a guy that you want to have as a foundation piece going forward. And then the – the other thing that happens is that the Pistons uh, get the second pick in the lottery and they draft Darko Milicic, who was another big man. So now you have two big men in their, in their late teens, early twenties 
that Joe Dumars sees as being the future of the team and Cliff Robinson is still in Detroit averaging 35 minutes a game. How are those guys going to get in the game? And Cliff Robinson never misses games either. So Joe, I think, has to bite the bullet and he winds up trading Cliff Robinson, essentially gives him away to Golden State for Bob Sura, who was an end-of-the-rotation player at best uh, in Detroit. It, it was simply... The entire move was simply to free up uh, more minutes for Milicic and Okur. One of those players <laughs> deserved those minutes. One of those players did not. But in a way, it also kind of frees up uh, the opportunity for Joe to pursue Rasheed Wallace the following season. Well, Cliff's not going to spend too much time in Golden State. Just a couple of, uh, like a year and a half, essentially. But this will be the first time that he doesn't doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah, and th- this would have given Cliff Robinson yet another uh, obscure record <laughs> that people would that people wouldn't have heard of. Uh, you know, playing 18 years in the league for um, what five different franchises and never missed in the playoffs. I don't think anyone in NBA history has ever done that for that many teams. Uh, Cliff Robinson goes 17 for 18. Uh, his one year in Golden State uh, snaps his his streak because they trade him to the Nets a year later. And then he makes the playoffs three straight years with the Nets. He is a rotation player uh, every single year of his career. He is never out of the rotation for from his rookie year to his 18th season at age. What was he? 39, 40 at the end of his career. He was still in the damn rotation for a playoff team. Uh, that That is incredible. That is just really, really uh, remarkable. Yeah, it's uh, he had an an amazing uh, NBA career, and um, and at, at the age of forty, he's going to retire from the uh, New Jersey Nets after playing fifty games uh, the two thousand seven season, uh, and then he's going to go and be on Survivor, which I'm not a Survivor watcher. Uh, Keith, do you watch that show? Do you remember him uh, being? I, on I there? watched. I watched the like the rest of Planet Earth. I watched that very first season of Survivor out of curiosity and just never again. Um, but everybody that I've heard that, that that saw Cliff Robinson on Survivor said he was awesome in it, for what that's worth. I, I can't comment other than what I've heard. All right. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, in uh, 2017, uh, Cliff uh, suffered a stroke and... Um, and he, you know, and 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 that kind of made, started to make things bad. And then in 2019, he had he uh, had cancer, um, and unfortunately uh, died in 2020 yeah. at the and age he, of just 53. Yeah, extremely young. Uh, it was, I, I think that kind of hit the NBA community extremely hard because. Cliff Robinson, while being a pretty chill guy, will always seem happy, kind of full of life. Uh, for for him to die so young, I think kind of I I remember the the NBA community kind of reacted uh, in a bit of shock, like Cliff Robinson yeah. of all people. You wouldn't. He was such an easygoing guy. You, you just figured that he would he would live a comfortable like like Bill Walton. He he's just chilling out for until age 80 or 90 and it, it's really tragic that he got you know robbed of the the twilight of 
the opportunity to live out the twilight of his life. Yeah, I mean, he only, you know, uh, 13 years uh, of not playing pro ball, um, you know, that's uh, it's not a lot. You know, it would have been nice if he would have had more time. Uh, but the Trailblazers uh, actually did do a classy uh, a classy thing during the, the playoffs that year. It was in the bubble. Uh, everybody on the team wore a headband, which Cliff was famous for. It was like Cliff was when you think of back to the 90s and 80s and, and like the, some of the NBA props, you think about like Kurt Rambis's glasses or Horace Grant's goggles. And definitely you think about Cliff Robinson's headband. Yeah, Cliff Robinson, who was who was bald almost from the first two or three years of his career all the way to the end, uh, made the headband really stick out. And he wore that headband from from the beginning of his career to all the way to the end. Uh, I still remember all the both of the Pistons years. He he wore a, a, that same red red. I think it was sometimes it was red, sometimes it was blue, but I think it was mostly red. Uh, but yeah, he he. It's interesting. Like headbands aren't. A, to- a really unusual accessory for for an NBA player, but Cliff owned it to the point where he became synonymous with the headband. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't really even think of any players from the '90s that wore headband. I mean, Chris Gatling is the only other guy that really comes to mind when I think about it. Uh, yeah, but it was Cliff's. It was Cliff's yeah. thing. So, um, but yeah, that's. Uh, that's that's going to do it for the cliff episode uh, uh well actually we before we get out of here we got to ask our normal two questions um what is cliff robinson's legacy cliff robinson's legacy to me at least that he he will go down as as a portland trailblazer of course uh he he kind of epitomized he he along with Clyde Drexler i think uh, symbolize those those '90s Blazers teams. Uh, he was versatile. He he played hard. He played excellent defense. He never missed a damn game. Uh, he he never drew too much attention to himself. But you know when when he when he walked in for work and he he punched the clock, he was always ready to go. Uh, he he didn't always shoot. <laughs> he he didn't even if he wasn't scoring points. Uh, he he was defending the hell the hell out of the ball. And he was one of the most versatile defenders uh, of the entire decade of the 1990s. I, I think that's his legacy. Uh, could he play today? <laughs> I think he would be better today. I think almost anyone that's ever seen Clifford Robinson play would agree that his game is tailor-made uh, for modern day. Uh, the, the one knock on him was, was that he didn't rebound very well, and he was a, a really bad rebounder. And I would point you to Jeremy Grant in his 100 and Fifty million dollar contract or whatever he, I, I think, I think it's one fifty. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I would, I would point everyone to Jeremy Grant, who plays a very similar game to what Cliff Robinson played. And I think Cliff Robinson played it a little bit better than Jeremy Grant. But just coincidentally, for point, the same team. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I'm just using it as a point of comparison. Uh, Jeremy Grant is making 30 plus million a year. I think Cliff Robinson would have done all right today. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think with this three point shooting uh, and yeah, just some of the, the defense that, that he was able to play, I think he'd be just fine. I think he'd be one of the better players in the league actually. I, um, but 
Well, yeah, that's uh, it's we sadly lost him too early, but his memory lives on, and uh, we're always happy to talk about Uncle Cliff. So, um, but yeah, thanks for listening to today's episode. We've got we've got some big news coming down the road. We'll discuss more about it later. I can't wait to tell you because I'm excited. Uh, but next week we do have a guest. Uh, it's not Isaiah Thomas or Grant Hill, but it is Ku Khalil from Locked On Pistons, and we love Ku, and we're super happy to have him. And we he will plays be discussing basketball on the weekends. He does play basketball on the weekends, and frequently will up upload his uh, his highlight reel on Twitter. Uh, he's 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 all right, you know. He's got a decent decent stroke. Uh, he needs a little work defensively, but other than that, he's he's fine. Uh, he, he he will replace Isaiah Thomas, I think, is the shortest guest we've had. I think so. Yep, I think that's definitely definitely true. Uh, but we will be covering the 2012 NBA draft with Ku Khalil next week. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>